This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah. And this is The Beirut Banyan. First time, mm-hmm. Feyruz comes up in any of the episodes so far. Wow! How is that possible? I have no idea. And you're right. She should have been one of the first episodes. I know. You're nearly 200 in. I can't. I mean, I feel, I've, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to, to, to be the one doing this. But I'm so, I'm so surprised that of all of the topics you've covered that she's never been mentioned in at least in passing, once, maybe. The thing is, everyone I met that I asked, I wanted to speak about Feyruz, they said, just just shut up, wait for Diba to approach you. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely, that's what they said. I can believe that. I'm like, who the hell is Diba? They're like, wait, you'll find out. She will talk about geopolitics, but then casually she'll just send you her dissertation by email. She won't even mention, she'll just be like, oh, by the way, by the yeah. way, send, so. Yeah. I'm very happy. I'm very happy that you sent me your thesis. I'm glad. And I, I mean, like last week, before we started, I couldn't, I couldn't include Feyruz in that topic. It's, it would take, take too long. Yeah. So thank you for coming back just to talk about this issue because, yeah, you're absolutely right. She should have come up. When I started doing the podcast, before the protests began, I was eventually getting there to music and then her contributions but the protest changed the whole it, it changed a lot of things in terms of where the focus was and i've been very focused on political reform and economic yeah. reform and of course geopolitics as well but mm. it's time it's time since you okay. sort of your email came from the cloud down to my laptop i think there's only a few ways to academically approach Feyruz without you know just letting the thesis go and ignoring it. You have to be a good writer. You have to <laughs> engage the reader. And you did just that. It's short enough to read in, a, in an afternoon. Um, yeah. The academic jargon is understandable. <laughs> it's not heavy. Um, and, it, and it reminded me of so much. The first thing that it, I think completely by accident, I, I think it took me back to my childhood. It took me back to growing up for a few years in suburban America, I mean, nothing to do with Lebanon, a backyard, a deck, forced, maybe a deer walking by, this is like, it's just suburban America. And then listening to Feyruz. And I, I think this is maybe, I'm, I'm maybe three years old, four years old, five, just her, her music always in the background. It's my parents, mm-hmm. parents listening to Feyruz in the diaspora. Yeah. So that's the early 1980s. 
-hmm. But I mean, a lot of feirus. This is yeah. not sort of on occasion. Could have been maybe every weekend feirus. Yeah. Funny enough, Um Kalsum was number two. Maybe Werde yeah. showed up later. But I mean, Feirouz was front and center. Yeah. It also reminded me of this maybe the first flight that I took to Beirut after the Civil War ended. Mm. I think it may have been 1991. Uh, Middle East Airlines landing in a messed up airport. Mm. Mounds of dirt with a Syrian soldier standing, monitoring the airport runway, and sort of mounds of dirt going to a war-torn, more or less war-torn terminal. It's not the terminal we have today. Mm. And her music blaring. I mean, Middle East Airlines just, I mean, her. you can imagine trying to land the noise, right? And then her, her singing on top of that. Another memory is taking a very long taxi ride almost every summer during the Civil War, where we couldn't land in Beirut, we'd yeah. land in Damascus yeah. and take what could have been maybe a 12-hour taxi ride around Syria to the north of Lebanon and then trying to get in and, of course, sort of a very long, very, very tiring journey. But the whole way through, Syrian taxi driver, Syria, listening to Pharaohs. Mm. I mean, it could be as romantic there as anywhere. Her music, I think, fits fits the setting, whether it's war, whether it's countryside, whether it's uh, in the diaspora abroad. It's like it, there's a... It takes you places. Whether they're imagined or real, I think, is secondary. You also... I'm going to... This is a very long introduction, but I'll get this out of the way because it's, it's, what, it's what reading your thesis brought back to me. So I'll give you time and space to talk. Don't worry. It's not going to be just me rambling about Feirouz. <laughs> 1994. This is maybe a year after we moved back in 93, 94. This is... Martyr's Square was bulldozed to the ground. I mean, flattened. Just what is now an empty building that used to be the Opera Cinema for many years was Virgin Megastore. Sort of just isolated, standing alone. Uh, the statue itself may have been removed at that time for polishing, so there was really nothing there. It was just uh, an empty, bulldozed part of war-torn Beirut, which used to be the hub of Beirut, in Martyr's Square. Before we started recording, sort of I was bringing some of that to life in a private conversation. I think the most important part of Beirut, which remains a parking lot to the most part, for the most part, uh, but can bring lots of people for protests. And in the case of Feirouz in 1994, I remember walking from, I think, from Hamra with must have been my parents or relatives just walking to Martyr's Square through the Green Line, still war-torn Beirut at the time. It had not been, it's not the downtown of today. Yeah. Getting to Martyr's Square, which had been leveled, but these glaring lights and so many people, plastic chairs everywhere, mm. thousands of people standing, and Feirouz in the middle, singing. And I did not, I did not recall this. That was her first concert after the end of the Civil War. 
and it completely forgot that she had not performed during the entire Civil War, or maybe for most of it, at least from the mid-1970s on, she had sort of avoided Lebanon mm -hmm. from 1976, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah un until, until 1994. So I didn't know that I was, in a way, watching that first performance, and it was crazy. I was a teenager back then, but I, I remember... I remember two things, like, why are we stuck with Feirouz wherever we go? <laughs> and yeah. also appreciating just how magical her music is, at least when it comes to the Lebanese experience. So mm. it's a very central part of Lebanon's story. And yeah. in 2008, I was invited to see Feirouz perform in Biel, by the sea. Um, a huge concert. Not as crazy as Martyr's Square, obviously, indoor, air-conditioned, uh, a, very, a very calm concert. And mm -hmm. not, not the Feirouz that I kind of look back on when I watch these documentaries about her or her performances that are all over the place on YouTube. Maybe a more, um, a different Feirouz, an older Feirouz. And I don't know when was the last time she actually performed. I'm, I'm guessing it's maybe... It's not, not recently, but she's, uh, yeah, this is a very amateur uh, tour, if you will, of my own life with Feirouz in the background. Um, I know that the thesis touches on, in a way, wider issues, and those are the issues that I think match Feirouz's contribution to the way we understand modern Lebanon. Yeah. And the issues surround identity, nationalism, local nationalism, regional nationalism, competing nationalisms, war, peace, imagined communities maybe, or reimagined, reinterpreted, Palestine, the yeah. whole shebang. Feirouz is part of it. So oh, we'll, yeah. we'll get into that. But I'm going to start by asking you your own curiosity about Feirouz, why somebody who grew up in the UK has any, <laughs> any relationship to Feirouz, why somebody would choose Feirouz as a master's thesis before living in Lebanon, yeah. and why maybe, if, if I may, why Feirouz maybe sort of took you in her mm -hmm. own way to Lebanon. So just mm -hmm. your, your personal relationship to her music, and what, what brought you into this very, very Lebanese, and at the same time international world of Feirouz's music. Um, well, I think I have to start really by grounding my interest in her music in general and credit it to my parents who brought my sister and I up with such a hugely diverse um, musical background. That's not to say that we are particularly gifted singers or, uh, you know, musicians and we play instruments, but I grew up. Um, with lots of family members around me as well. My mom has five sisters. They all live within like a 15, 20 minute, you know, walk of each other pretty much. So I grew up with a really huge immediate family. They're Very all, they, they, no, no one killed. I mean, they're, they're all safe and sound. They're not, there's no family drama there. Good, yeah, yeah. good. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they, they all left in or around the time of the revolution. They made the UK their home, uh, the revolution in Iran. Um, and I grew up with a very, very kind of strong idea 
of Iranian culture, Iranian music played centrally to that. And my father's family come from northern Iran, the Turkish-speaking Azadi parts of Iran. So he grew up speaking Turkish and Persian. So to my household, we had Persian music, we had Azadi music, we had Turkish, we had Kurdish, we had Arabic music. And this was just stuff that I grew up with. This was stuff that my dad, whenever he'd be driving me around, he would have these like ridiculous burned CDs of all the latest tracks from his friends or family members, I don't know where he would get them from, but they seem to just come, you know, um, repeatedly every week, every month. And so I had an ear for it. It already was such an integral part of my life. It wasn't something that I'd necessarily studied, but the, the music from Iran and its wider region, especially Arabic-speaking countries as well, this was not something that was unfamiliar to me. This was something that even before I started learning Arabic, I knew how to read and write Persian. So even the script was familiar to me. And it wasn't such a huge leap for me to kind of develop with my, with my, with my kind of passion that I developed for not just Lebanon, but the wider region in itself with the language. You develop a passion for the cultural expressions that emanate from these countries that you're obsessed with. So I think... Did, did your parents listen to Feirouz when they were growing up in Iran? Uh, I knew they listened to Um Kulsum. Mm. I don't think they necessarily had as much interaction with Feirouz growing up in Iran, but Um Kulsum, rather, I should say, Um Kulsum in, in Persian, because we don't have the Tha. Well, that's how it's pronounced also in most. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, was so, she was so famous everywhere, and Iranians loved her. They grew up listening to Um Kulsum and had a real love for Arabic music and the Arabic language as well, which I, and I credit them for it. I credit them for kind of laying the foundations for, you know, wherever this interest of mine will end up or however it originated. I know that the kind of seed point starts with, you know, my cultural upbringing. Um, as being a kind of Iranian Brit within the Iranian diaspora and having Iranian music play such an integral part into how we connect with each other, connect with the language and the practices. So that the point one, how I... Okay, it. no, sorry, yeah, please. No, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. So there, there is more than that. I, I, ho- I can only yeah. imagine... Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Um, so that was kind of like the starting point for like, my love of Arabic music as and the whole, and I use the term Arabic music, you know, with with the air quotes because I know lots of people might, you know, take issue with that. But loosely, loosely speaking, um, I actually don't remember the first time I listened to Feirouz. I don't even remember the first time that I came across her as a musician. Mm. But I do know that I loved her music before I started studying the region, before I really even started studying Lebanon. But, you know, Lebanon was always somewhere, somewhere, that, um, somewhere rather, that I had close personal connections to because of friends of mine and, you know, people that I deeply cared about in my life. And I knew a lot about the country without having ever been there, first of all, and without ever having studied it to the degree that I ended up studying it. So it's not like it was a kind of unknown um, history or culture, and I kind of happened to find it. Um, These are things that were very much kind of um, familiar to me in some ways. And I think 
uh, as I said, I don't remember the first time I interacted with Feroz, but I do remember why I chose to write about that. And it was this story. Yeah. No, 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 please, please keep going. I, I basically, I couldn't, the more, the more I learned about modern history of the region, modern history of Lebanon in particular, I couldn't understand. I, I just could not get my head around how so many seemingly at various points competing mm. ethnic groups, confessional groups, you name it. So there's so much that's contested in Lebanon and its surrounding region. I couldn't understand what it was about this artist that was somehow was able to kind of rise above it and was just not even a consideration of being kind of included in these types of narratives. And maybe they were, maybe it was my naive interpretation of it, but I knew that, of course, the Lebanese had a claim to her art. I knew that the Syrians had a claim to her art and the Palestinians. And then she started making albums about like, and songs about the Gulf and Iraq. I couldn't, it was a question that I just, I didn't understand how, how with so many kind of seemingly divisive um, markers. I, I I didn't know what it was about her specific cultural productions that was somehow you know removed from all of this. So that was basically my starting point. But before we jump into the thesis, which is really, I mean, it needs to be explored. I'm just curious about you as a child. Did you yeah. understand Feruz? Did you understand the lyrics? Did they sort of make sense when you were growing up? Because in my case, in my case, I came late to Lebanese dialect, to the Lebanese language, whatever you want to call it, uh, to Arabic, came late. So I grew yeah. up just appreciating her music and the rhythm and finding some obvious comparisons to certain European sort of uh, music as well. A lot of it is borrowed at times, just sort of pulled from Hungarian music, I think, at times. And there's a lot of, it's not all Lebanese, so that's, that's yeah. clear. I think I got that right. It's Hungarian. Yes. So there's, or, I mean, enjoying that music, you don't need to know the language. Totally. But uh, I, the lyrics didn't really make sense to me until I was older. So did, yeah. you, did you have any connection to the words or was it just the music itself? It was always the music. And, yeah. and before, before I even started learning, so your question kind of leads on to a different part in that um, the songs that she made in Fusha, as some as was for the kind of untrained ear who had studied Fusha, uh, you know, a few years and hadn't fully immersed themselves in the beauty of the Lebanese Amnia. But oh, Fusha no, was. This is, this is no, you, you, <laughs> yeah, the Fusha variation seemed familiar to me because. I think each episode you have a way of sort of like, you know, you find that sweet spot and then boom. But, um,. So, for example, her really, her kind of colloquial Lebanese music, before I really started learning Lebanese, I would struggle a lot because there's, there's such a huge variation. Um, so I wouldn't, it wouldn't be the lyrics that kind of drew me to her music. It would always be the melodies. It would always be the kind of emotive power of her songs as opposed to the kind of the poetic nature of the words that she sung. So it's less Lebanon. In that sense, it's more music. Initially, it was, yeah. Initially, it was less Lebanon. Did the curiosity about Lebanon come from the lyrics? Because I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to find that. My yeah. relationship to, oh, let me say it 
Feirouz is a byproduct of yeah. growing up in a Lebanese household yeah. that yearns for, I think, all things that are Feirouz. Yeah. Nostalgia, mm. sort of loss, mm. uh, this sort of tranquil mm. Lebanon that may have never really existed. But that yeah. kind of um, imagined Lebanon is mm. part of being in a Lebanese home. In your yeah. sense, in your case, is it? did your parents sort of have any special feelings towards Lebanon? I'm curious why, why, that, why that would take you into the Lebanese world rather than just this is a singer from a country not far from Iran. Yeah. Words I don't necessarily understand, but I enjoy her music. In other yeah. words, what's, uh, what is it about her music, let's say, mm-hmm. that drew you to Lebanon? I honestly, I I think it was the other way around for me. I think it was Lebanon first and Feirouz second. I, I think see. That okay. Was the, uh, that was the edge of my relationship. Right. Right. Always Lebanon first, and you know, if you if you interact and you kind of immerse yourself in in Lebanese history and culture, then it's unavoidable that you'll you know that you will be. Um, you know, you will interact with something that she has produced or it's just a, you know, it's something that nobody is really able to help. And the similar way that you describe it, it's kind of this constant that has existed. And um, I started picking up on that and I, and I really, I really understood, or at least I, I tried to understand from an early point why it was that she played such a huge role. Because, so for as an example, I would try, when people would ask me, what I was doing my thesis on, and I, I would explain it to them, people that weren't familiar with Lebanon, I would always try and find a, <laughs> a, an example to relate it back to her. And I would say, oh, well, she's kind of the Lebanese version of... I could never I could never find an accurate... What, what is the British comparison? There's, is there any? No. No, there isn't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just couldn't... I couldn't think of anybody that would encapsulate the role that she's played in the kind of making of the modern Lebanese state and the cultural significance that she has. There are so many elements to her that I don't think I was really able to contextualize in any context other than Lebanon and its surrounding um, region. So so it was definitely Lebanon first and Feirou second. Similarly to the way in that... Um, you you kind of mentioned um, Feirouz's music played a part, especially in terms of like nostalgia and this kind of yearning for a past. I'm sure we'll kind of unpack all of that stuff, but that's also musical sentiments that weren't foreign to me. A huge right. significant yeah. portion of like the Iranian music that we consumed would be from like, you know, pop stars that were huge in the 60s and 70s before the revolution, they would all come to London and perform in these huge sold-out concerts. And what would they do? They would all talk about life before the revolution, and it would be this kind of continuation of uh, nostalgia mixed with like a, a, a looking back towards a time that maybe existed, maybe didn't because nostalgia has such like a powerful ability to just rob everybody of their memories. <laughs> and um, I could, you know, for better or for worse, that's just how it, that's just how it, you know, performs. Um, so these were sentiments that I was already familiar with. It just happened to be from a different cultural standpoint, I think. I think it's really interesting. 
because I, I know that this is not, I know you're not the only person to have sort of fallen in love with Feyruz without having any direct relationship to Lebanon. That's clear. Or forget, forget, I mean, it's not just about Lebanon. The region has sort of a very intimate relationship with Feyruz. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do find it interesting to sort of later in life approach her music, her career within a thesis, and then sort of end up living in Lebanon too. So I think that that is special. I'm going to very sort of carefully quote your thesis from time to time without making it too sort of... Um, just there are certain sections that I wanted to maybe engage you with without and this is not a challenge towards your thesis or your arguments per se i just want to get to maybe the 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 competing narratives i guess the competing narratives and then feyruz in the background and how Mm. she's able to navigate uh that kind of story i mean she's she finds a way to tackle all things that in a way tore lebanon apart there's one quote in particular and i'll quote you to you and I think it's it's a, it's a quote that you pulled from another quote, but nonetheless, okay. I'm going to quote I'm you a- to you to the other person back to you. Okay. Feyruz is able to evoke a fuzzy memory guided by nostalgia for a fictional past that speaks to multiple identities. It is this very fuzziness that allowed Feyruz not just to cater to various nationalisms, but to speak to them at times simultaneously. Now, as a child growing up, none of that was even on the table. I did not yeah. even sort of appreciate it, too young to care. And even later, sort of growing up and then learning her music and understanding it, it wasn't the first thing that came to mind. It's until I started studying the region that I realized, yes, she is, in a way, she's opposites, and she's opposite ends of the spectrum, and her music is able to deliver on both sides. There's an example that you give during your thesis about a taxi driver, a right-wing taxi driver, who's able to like see eye-to-eye with her music, yeah. uh, a Syrian nationalist that feels the same way, a Palestinian, a sort of uh, a, a Palestinian resistance fighter who's, who can just imagine Feyruz as sort of that bedrock that she's speaking to me, mm-hmm. and like, she can do all of the above. That That... The fuzziness, the word fuzziness, do you think that is this, maybe the magic of her music? That you don't always know necessarily that she's referring to what could have been, at least in her more famous music, a very particular Lebanese story. Mm. And I think you, you use the word Le- Lebanonism, mm. and you do draw the line between that and Christian Lebanon, and a particular type of Christian Lebanese folklore if you will, or, or real history, whatever you want to call it, that it's something very particular to Lebanon and a certain type of Lebanese. Mm. So is, is that her magic, that she can just, she can appeal to all of the above and she finds a way of leaving it vague enough so that everyone sees eye to eye with, yeah, we want to recover something that we lost. Yeah, exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head um, in the. And I should state that I think that, you know, none of this was done by accident. This was meticulously orchestrated in such a way that allowed her. I mean, think about the length of her career. She first um, released music in the 50s, in the mid-50s. Yeah, yeah. If you think about the longevity of her career, it's the, the vagueness that you just described that Christopher Stone referred to as fuzziness that I think was meticulously decided upon. And when we speak about Fabulous, we obviously, you know, 
we have to acknowledge that it was not just her. She had, uh, you know, many talented people working with her, most famously Asi and Mansoor from the Rehban brothers. Um, so the direction that they had and the knowledge that they had to be able to navigate these very, very kind of fragile and specific identities, if you want to call them, it was not just magic. It was genius. Yeah. How people could do that for such a long time. It's it's amazing to, to kind of contextualize it in a historical framework as well. But I think you're right. I think that it doesn't matter what social group we're talking about. There will always be, you know, there will always be lingering feelings of a kind of yearning to return back to a simpler time. And I think that is like not only universal, but I think it is pertinent in an area of the world where people, and, and, and you know, look at, look at, you know, today, for example, it's, it's incredibly pertinent in an area of the world where there is this kind of overbearing feeling that the golden years are behind us. Right. And you, and you use this you use this phrase several times, golden era, that her, her, her career begins, it triumphs during Lebanon's golden era. And we all have our own golden era. Absolutely. There's no, it's, and it's never today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think I mentioned to you before we started the recording that I kind of, um, if I could change certain aspects about my yeah. about my about my arguments now, then that would be one of them. I would refer to it as a kind of so-called golden era because the more that I've learned, the more I've realized that you know Lebanon in the '60s was heralded as this kind of like magical time and place, but you scratch beneath the surface, and what did you find? There was still huge wealth inequality. There was still the same kind of socio-economic problems that maybe existed in a slightly different way back then, but there is a, and it's not, it's not exclusive to Lebanon. It's the same for, you know, it's the same for the Iranian experience as well. The countless references to the golden era of Iran, pick a, pick a time and people will always think of it as like the best or, you know, the greatest. And it's, and it kind of, there is, there is a kind of pulling back, if you will, a constant, referencing back through history and not really acknowledging that there are just positives and, bene and, and benefits of every kind of positives and negatives for every historical era and idealizing them and romanticizing them in this way is probably not the you know um the most reflective of what the reality was but it doesn't matter because it's music it doesn't have to it's supposed to be romantic that's true and also that I guess it's an assumption that most Lebanese on all sides of the spectrum, regardless of their politics, still look to those years as far better. Okay. Maybe the phrase golden era has its sort of, uh, maybe it, it means certain things to certain people at different times, but, but there is something about her music that captured yeah. a moment in mm -hmm. independent Lebanon's history where it seemed like there was hope on the horizon maybe i'm keeping it very vague here with all with all the problems that lebanon had back yeah. then and continues to have but her music is associated with lebanon moving fast and yeah. it's moving fast in many different ways and i i'm never going to ask i mean i know these words maybe they 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 have different meanings to different people but modernity in the mm. loosest definition the fact that 
Lebanon was 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 growing, and it was yeah. growing very fast. Yeah. And her music output was exponential. So it's sixty albums that she released. I have. I mean, yeah, something something outrageous. Something crazy, something, right? It's overwhelming her discography. I I can't claim to have listened to all of her music. I can't even claim that I know all of it that exists. Yeah. There's just too much of it. There's so much of it available. But even that number, even if it's too small, but for yeah. like a very short window, almost two decades, that she releases sixty records. Yeah. And even in that period of time, and in your thesis is sort of the the Lebanonism chapter. Uh, even then, there's this yearning for something calmer, quieter, yeah. less less rushed. It's almost like a Lebanon that, if it existed, it's not part of the 20th century. It's yeah. earlier, and it's a Lebanon that technically maybe never existed. Exactly. So let, let's go into that. This Lebanese nationalism story and mm. Feirouz's contribution to it, mm. or, or not necessarily contribution, but just that relationship, and they kind of... Mm-hmm. It's almost like they rise and fall together. Yeah. Do you sense that her music was universal acceptance aside? Do you mm-hmm. think that it was reflecting on, in a way, Christian um, insecurity, even during Lebanon's heyday, that there was this sort of, this may not lead to something better? Because I'm, I'm curious why somebody who's, very um, very confident and, and her music is very proudly Lebanese at that time there's still this you know hesitation on where we're going yearning for a village like lifestyle yeah yearning for exactly. the yeah and and is that something that maybe this is not going to work I'm curious the that that Lebanese Christian nationalism story and her dance with it and whether yeah. or not this is just art if it's also political, political play, and, and it's in its birth, and it's sort of the, the beginnings of what would end up being the breakdown of Lebanon. It's, um, it's really interesting that you refer back to the village, because I think that the, the, the representation of village life, particularly in her early, early years, in which we're discussing now, um, that I always understood it, and from the research that I did, that I always understood to be juxtaposed against domestic migration, the rise of urban life, mm. and kind of moving away from the rural to the urban. And so, this idea that she is kind of referencing the simplicity of the village life and like the, the green mountains and the church bells, I think that. It's a duality of both. That is what was familiar to her as an artist and the team around her, undoubtedly. But I also think that it was something that was reflected of like the changing domestic dynamics. I don't necessarily think it was a kind of dog whistle to the Christian identity that the Lebanonism that I'm referring to was... I don't necessarily think it was a direct relation back to it, Mm. but I think it played a role in that the messages that, at least as I interpreted it, she was conveying had had everything to do about kind of geography. And inherently with Lebanese geography, you're faced with, you know, different um, religious sects, at least for the Mount Lebanon that she was specifically 
kind of situation. But the geography is pointing towards Mount Lebanon and Christian Lebanese history, autonomous Lebanon, Ottoman Mount Lebanon. So do you think that's, in a way, that's at least part of the psyche of Lebanese Christian nationalism, that it's sort of, there was some security there that Mm. sort of over time disappeared on the coast, modern Lebanese history? Or is that overthinking it? Because I, I, her music does change significantly. And then, of yeah. course, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of other things that she explores. But at least that's, that's where she becomes famous. Yeah. It's, this, uh, it's nostalgia. Even, when, yeah. even now, that's the nostalgia we look back on. She right. was looking back on a much earlier phase. So do you think, is, is, is insecurity, do you think, part of it? Or is it really just something that it's, it's almost like an innocent nostalgia? That things were calmer, we miss the we miss those quieter days. Now things are rushed. I, I mean, because it is such a Christian Lebanese story as well. And I, I will add one more quote from your thesis here. And then, I mean, if you something that you wanted to change two years later, feel free. Uh, it's what whilst on, I love that whilst I always should say whilst instead of while. Whilst on the surface, it is not immediately obvious as to why Fayouz's expressions of a Lebanese identity confined to the area of Christian Mount Lebanon is noteworthy, the evidence of which is analyzed in the next subchapter, one must firstly divert their attention to the history of Christian nationalism in Lebanon. So it's almost like in the 1950s, we need to now think back to, in a way, the French mandate or even earlier. So is, is there a relationship there? I think so. I think... It's difficult to know because it relates back to intention, right? And, like, this is pretty much what my whole case was about. It was trying to really understand the intention behind the cultural output that she put out. And it refers back to the kind of, like, committed literature, the committed art forms. Mm, mm. Uh, It's a really difficult one to say with certainty. I would argue, yes, and the reference that you made to 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 the Mount Lab, to the to the rural versus the coastal is really interesting because um, my a good friend of mine often refers to how, you know, very kind of old Christian families that are, that are from like uh, the mountainous regions in Lebanon will refer to anywhere on the coast as Beirut. They will <laughs> that will just be how they designate it. And that's the separation for them. And so I think that it reminded me of that anecdote of this kind of how people in Lebanon view the different geographies and how that kind of plays in with their their own connections to um, to the kind of spaces they they inhabit. So I think that I think that you're right. I think that you're right to kind of draw the similarity with the kind of looking back towards the kind of mandate period and the kind of significance that that played in the end to the formation of of kind of the Christian Lebanese nationalism that developed over the 20th century. I think that that's a, yeah, I think that that's an accurate point to make. What what I love though, is that it's such a short lived story. And in those few years, she's making her mark. I mean, it's, it's 1958 that Lebanon experiences its first civil war. Yeah. There's a great quote that you pulled from Fawaz Trabulsi, somebody I'm very lucky to know from AUB. So I'll quote Trabulsi to us. Okay. For any people to develop and maintain a sense of political community, 
it is necessary that they share a common vision of their past. Yeah. Now, by 1958, there's competing narratives at play, and they're, they're violent. 6,000 Lebanese die that year alone, short span, three months. There's a civil war in Lebanon. The Arab nationalism story that is sort of on the rise, Gamal Abdel Nasser, in a very different way, Umm Kulsum is contributing to that narrative immensely, yeah. and they go hand in hand. And you know what? I'm glad, really glad your thesis brings that back to life because these are things I've, I've forgotten over time. That, of course, these are, these are matching figures. But it's been so long that I think about Abdel Nasser or M. Kalsum. Of course. And that M. Kalsum and Feiruz eventually develop a friendship too. But, but that sort of Arab nationalism, and then, of course, it's at play in Lebanon. You rightly point out the United Arab Republic between Egypt and Syria. Sure. Yeah, the, the three-year-long project that barely worked for a month mm-hmm. or two. But, but that very tense time in, in regional history that plays a heavy role in the eventual demise of the Lebanese state. And mm-hmm. the civil war is not that long. I mean, 17 years later, Lebanon is experiencing the beginning of where we are today. So that... Mm-hmm. It's at play in Lebanon. And Feirouz is still rising she's a shining star uh and her music is able to accommodate so i want um, this is maybe more a more maybe a more reflexive question because it's, i don't think there's an actual actual answer here but is that do you think by design so that she does not lose half her audience that she has to she's she needs to accommodate and that maybe these are not necessarily personal feelings it's not mm-hmm. like you can sort of shift your opinion sort of based on who's winning a regional war and who's losing. Mm. Do, do you think that this was literally meant to accommodate and try, maybe desperately, try to have a unifying voice against the odds? Mm. Or is it just simple music at the end of the day? These are innocent lyrics and you take what you want from them because it, seem, it seems so masterful. Yeah, I know. And you used the word genius earlier, and I fully agree with you. This cannot be by accident. If it is by accident, it is really sort of, I think it robs it of the meaning. It it can't just be sort of an ad hoc decision. So do you think this is something deliberate, trying to preserve a Lebanese identity that may not exist, Mm -hmm. but it's sort of catering to all sides and seeing a way that you can sort of address all concerns in one song at the same time. Yeah, completely. I think that, yeah, you, you articulated it much better than I could in that. I think that... No, you, did, was, you did it in the thesis. You did it much better than I could, yeah. It was not waffle. I wish I could go back. I was rereading it, and I was just cutting words <laughs> in my head. <laughs> Those are the words that I'm keeping. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but that's very kind of you to say. But, um, but, yeah, I do think not, you know, and I hope that, I hope that, your listeners don't think that I'm being cynical by saying that I do think that this was, you know, very much chosen as a, as a strategy for their art form. Uh, one of, one of the kind of like favorite anecdotes of mine was that in the early, early years of her career, I think it was still in the fifties, um, 
Nasser had actually invited Fayrouz to record in Cairo. It was still in the early phase of her career. She yeah. was still kind of at home domestically championing the like lab, green Lebanonism and the church bells and whatnot. And Nasser invited her to Cairo for a residency. I think she was there for some time. And he had requested, or, you know, so the, the literature says, um, it was requested of Fayrouz that they sing songs that champion the Palestinian cause and sing it in the Egyptian dialect as well. And obviously, kind of Cairo being the cultural capital of the Arabic-speaking world at the time, it was not unusual for most art forms to, to be sung, or most music to be sung in the, in the Egyptian dialect. So she was singing in the Egyptian dialect kind of pro-Palestinian music, whilst also maintaining her very, very specific style of music that invoked very specific connotations domestically back home. And this all happened at the same time. And so yeah. to say that this wasn't, you know, meticulously planned out, I think would be misguided. And I think that um, it speaks to, you know, her ability to kind of speak to each um, audience group or each kind of uh, society that she was addressing, you know, regardless of whether it be meaning or dialect or, or lyrics, I, she was able to kind of move between them in a very, very fluid way that people bought into and still actively buy into. And that, I think, is the real kind of magic of what she was able to produce, is that it wasn't just bought in the 50s when it was a very specific socio-historical period and there were lots of kind of regional changes lots of it was you know the rise of the nation modern nation states effectively and um the fact that they have maintained in such entrenched ways i think is is an indication that this was very much a kind of conservative effort to be able to, to produce these things in those fuzzy and vague ways so as to be able to kind of continue them. There's a bridge that I don't know in anyone else's artistic output. I, I'm sure it exists. I'm not familiar with it, where you can connect the the, the calmness of country life, mm. countryside tranquility, to the determination of Arab nationalism. These are yeah. not naturally lining up expressions. There's a quote from you in your, in your thesis, back to the thesis. You use the word incredulous, which is true. It is incredulous that Fayrouz has been able to simultaneously balance the depictions of nostalgic, idyllic Lebanon as being mm -hmm. confined to the Mount Lebanon region, whilst also being championed as an icon of Arab nationalism. Yeah. Find, me, find me one other artist who did that. No, I did. I don't think, I don't think they're available. And it's not just that. I mean, we're, I know we're skipping over many things, and I think it, neither one of us maybe has that kind of uh, expertise per se, because I, I know Fabius as just somebody who listens to her music. I know you did a thesis as well, but there's endless documentaries on her life, and there's a lot of sort of, there's a lot of literature, I think, and sort of delving into her backstory. But I'm, I, I want to focus in a bit on the post-Arab nationalism phase because it, it develops into something else the most passionate Fayrouz enthusiasts I've met are Palestinian yeah 
hands down. I mean, talk about. I mean, she the uh-huh. tattoos of Feyruz, lyrics, quotes, posters of Feyruz, and it's like, wait a minute, Feyruz is ours, so <laughs> but it's theirs too. Yeah. Annoyingly, one of the one of my favorite anecdotes about her, and I know I've said this a few times, but I have many. From rereading it, I didn't I didn't pick up on it. And either I learned of it after, or for whatever reason I decided not to include it. But it was in the chapter where I'm discussing her role in or rather her significance to the Palestinian cause. And um there was an article or maybe it was part of a documentary i'll find the i'll find the citation and send it to you but um i think it was maybe around the same time that she was symbolically awarded the keys to yes, jerusalem yes. right mayor mahmoud darwish also said that feirouz had done more for the palestinian people than any other artist i'm not sure whether he was speaking specifically to non-palestinian artists but i think that it's such, it had carries such weight and the 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 um the anecdote that you gave is a hundred is my experience of it as well is a hundred percent of what i found as well and deep pride with her music and that you know it it seems that any any community that can appreciate the lyrics as mm. as as justifying a a wrong and in our case it's I mean, it's maybe that shared sense of loss. And mm-hmm. in, in the Lebanese example, it's far less painful as the Palestinian one. But there's that sort of yearning for a time where things were better. And of mm-hmm. course, in the Palestinian case, it's sort of yearning for Palestine, yearning for pre-Israel days. And, and that, I think, her music justifies it. It's almost like um, you don't have to be Lebanese to, to feel that she's singing to you. And I think, and I agree with uh, with that sentiment that yeah, I mean, she is she is uh, she's very powerful in mm-hmm. Palestinian artistic expression. Mm-hmm. And those are the years that she let go of Lebanon. Mm-hmm. So I I did not know this at, that she had avoided the civil war entirely. She lived in Lebanon during the civil war, but yeah. didn't perform. Mm-hmm. And there's a great quote. It's, it's attributed to, to Feirouz, and she says, and it's in your thesis, so I'm guessing it's not you with a microphone interviewing Feirouz, unless maybe it was, I, I doubt it, yeah. Uh, she says, I'm not the same person I was before the war. Watching my country destroy itself bit by bit, seeing innocent people killed, living without water, electricity, and the basic necessities was not easy. It has been so terrible to see it crumble before our eyes. You know, I read that quote, I was like, this could be written today. Mm. It's really a very sad sort of phase that we're going through. But she's saying that she didn't, she didn't, she didn't want to be part of the war, mm. and at least in an artistic way. Although she remained living in Lebanon the entire time. So I'm curious, in, in, from your maybe your research, or maybe your understanding of her, mm. of her politics, maybe to a point. Mm. Do you sense that this was to avoid taking sides? that she didn't want to be seen as leaning in any direction, hoping that she may reemerge later as a triumphant singer returning to the stage? Or, or do you think it was that she had more or less let go of, of the Lebanese story and had found purpose, found meaning, whether it's mm-hmm. the Palestinian cause or, for that matter, much later, different causes? I mean, just that she had, she had evolved beyond mm-hmm. Lebanon. 
Okay. There are a few points that I think are worth addressing in relation to this because it's a really, really interesting um, part of her career and, and it's an interesting time in her cultural output as well. The, the way that... Okay, so Lebanese people love to refer to the way that she kind of stood with the people. She never left Lebanon. She stayed, So she performed for the last time in 1976 and then not again until 94. Sorry, 76. Yeah, and then, right. And then until 94, as, yeah. you, as yeah. you said at the beginning. Um, and they decided to, to stay in Lebanon. Um, there were rumors that they had actually planned to move to Damascus and that they, the, that they had wondered initially uh, in the mid-70s whether that was, you know, something that they would um, that they would do, and they obviously ended up not doing that. Ziad famously moving to West Beirut as a kind of like act of defiance. All of these, all of the, their their kind of their behavior during this time only strengthened their position in the kind of cultural landscape and of of Lebanon. If, if in my opinion, anyway. So the fact that she chose to kind of, and she actually did perform, but she just toured globally. She continued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she even made it to the States at some point. She was performing in America. Yeah, yeah. It's not that she stopped altogether. It's that she, you know, for, for whatever reason, we could discuss maybe this was, you know, strategic in the sense that, like, given how, you know, given the, state of affairs at the time over the 15-year period, at what point would it have been, you know, would it have seemed like the right time to re-intervene? And mm. um, ultimately, I, I think she made the right decision in kind of um, not re-entering the public sphere in such a way that would have drew the kind of uh, the attention that um, she would have undoubtedly faced, um, regardless of whatever song. And 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 then it leads on to the the question of like what kind of music that she produced during this time. And so we have two examples that I love to refer back to: Beirut, obviously being the most famous one, yeah. which I argue, I, I I think I vaguely remember arguing that at least the way that I saw it, this was really the first honest representation of Lebanon that we've seen in her kind of, especially the kind of, um, you know, later years of her music. This is kind of, this is not the kind of romanticization, the nostalgic ridden call for the, of the, you know, the green mountains or even the kind of more urban landscapes that she later referred to. This was like a very kind of, it's a broken city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's a broken song. Which is which is not really like anything else that she had produced before. So um, that's interesting. So she that I did not know that 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 that's the first time she addresses the suffering, if you will, of of Lebanon directly in her music. Cuz I, I I did not know that. But it's it's during the civil war that she records it and releases it. But that exactly. I, I I did not know that. So that Oh, okay, I remember. So yes, Libeirut was released in the eighties, and Behebak Yelabnan was released in the seventies. Of course, those yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yes. The first one being the most kind of like devoid of any kind of meaningful political message that you could think. And there's a moment where I talk about how Ziad had even talked about how much he hated that song. Behebak Yelabnan, yeah. 
Yeah, right. That that came out in that's just at the Civil War's onset, right? That that one's yeah, right, right. Just as it was beginning, and this yeah. was a song that was supposed to refer to like Lebanese unity. She refers to like the north and the south and everything in between, and this was her kind of rallying cry for political unity. But really, it was it was it's a patriotic song without actually having any kind of political engagement in it. It's the same vagueness, the same fuzziness that any political position could could relate to, you know? Any political position that's operating at that specific time in the early years of the Civil War could play and feel the emotive connection to. And and that changes when she releases Libéut, I think. You know, I, I mean, this is anecdotal. I just remember always sort of people saying that she should replace the cedar tree on the flag because she's more unifying than any other symbol in, in the country. And that that will be a day of national mourning when she passes away, proper national mourning. But I that, okay, so you have that sort of unique ability mm. to sing to all at any given point. Yeah. Um, you also address how the region is falling apart in your dissertation. And uh, again, I'll quote you to you, which I love doing. It is clear that domestic and regional shifts that altered the social fabric of the Arab world had profound effects on the narratives depicted in Feyruz's music. It is evident that themes denoting the Christian Mount Lebanon identity are perpetuated in her music across the decades and remained an integral part of her music canon. However, subtle changes in story structure, description of landscapes, and her gradual willingness to make emphatic social messages indicate an undoubtable level of committed artistic expression that developed over the course of the 20th century. So, this is a big question. Take whatever you want from it. Is she the 20th century messenger, in in a way? That all the ideas that were explored in Lebanon, in in the middle of the 20th century, all of them, that are born at the beginning of the 20th century, some of them die by the end of the 20th century, that in a way she was able to able to sing to every political persuasion possible that hit Lebanon that century. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, it, and some of it still impacts us today, some doesn't. But that mm-hmm. but that she's the rise and fall of of modern Lebanon. And mm-hmm. she she eloquently found a way to sort of sing it, sing the story to us. The good, the bad, the imagined, the real, uh, the Palestinian, the Syrian, the mm. Arab, the Egyptian, all of the above, and and the the Christian Lebanese villager who sees nothing in common with the rest of the region, and she found that person. She reached his heart as well. So that kind of it's just all the ideas embraced in one sort of artist's catalog. Um, it's yeah, that's a huge question, and um, I'd like to hear your your answer to that as well. Because my answer would be, as with anything, in some ways yes, and in some ways no. And to the first part of your question, is she the messenger? I would argue that in order to be the messenger, one would have to have a message, which I don't think she actually. Mm-hmm. I think that she was able to relay messages in a way that just reached the edge of being overtly political without going over, that she was able to kind of inhabit multiple forms. So 
whilst she had an, 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 an unrivaled ability to kind of reflect the socio-historical context within which she was performing in, I don't, I don't feel persuaded that she was necessarily a champion of the, of the political ideas that her music referred to. I think right. that she used it in a way that kind of um, made her music more robust and it grounded it, but I don't think that, I would not refer to her as like a political musician. I would say that the most political music that she probably made was about Palestine. Right. And probably right. the most um, overtly political in that um, it was kind of unwavering in a political position um, and kind of defiantly pro-Palestinian, if you will, that I don't think her music in the Lebanese context ever necessarily was, despite kind of flirting, if you will, with elements of competing nationalisms in Lebanon, I don't see her as having inhabited a position strongly enough for it to be kind of, you know, adamantly hers, and that's what she kind of um, championed, and that was the end of the story. So it never really becomes like Um Kulsum and Gamal Abdel Nasser. There's none of that really in the story, that she doesn't get too intimate with any idea at any time. I don't personally think so, but yeah. I mean, what, what, what do you think about that? Well, okay, I'll be honest, I don't know enough about her. I know her music as somebody who just enjoys her music. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I do know that uh, she means a lot. And I know that she means a lot to Lebanese in Lebanon, Lebanese in the diaspora, Syrians in Syria, Syrians in the diaspora, Palestinians the world over, Egyptians love her. Iraqis yeah. love her. Europeans find her and fall in love with her. People that don't know anything about her discover her, and suddenly they try to find all her music. Um, I think, and I want you to correct me if this is incorrect, because you did some research on the subject, and I want to know if this is wrong. Okay. I think in her... I think the core message, at least of the music that made her very famous early on yeah. is one of exceptionalism yeah. I do think that there was an attempt at trying to make Lebanon seem like something special now I'm using this I mean without sort of taking sides just sort of that there is a uniquely Lebanese story at play one that does yeah. not exist in other parts of the region and I think she may have tried to express that uniqueness to the region by design or not. I don't know, but that it kind of, it became very attractive. This, uh, this country that was able to kind of move in a different direction at certain points in its history, recent history, and embrace many ideas. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that is at her core, I, I think. And I don't think it's an accident that Mount Lebanon is the magic of her music. Mm. She's not singing about uh, anything else, really, at the beginning. At the yeah. beginning. So that, I mean, Mount Lebanon, autonomous Lebanon, mm. Christian Lebanon, whatever you want to call it, 
Uh, That beast that speaks a certain way and understands things a certain way, I think she is its natural extension to the Mm -hmm. rest of the region. So that's, that's how I see her. Yeah. This is excluding all the other things. And I I know that, I mean, the Palestinian story, the Syria story, her attempt at sort of resonating with the Arab nationalist audience, that aside, Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. I do think uh, it's not an accident that the 1950s and her music sort of, they parallel each other in a, Mm -hmm. in a very, very special way. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing is irrelevant, I think. But I think that became the, uh, what, for whatever reason, anybody that feels nostalgic to a better time in that part of the world sees eye to eye with her music. And that includes that, that community. But it includes, I think, any community today that's suffering. You end your thesis nicely. And you say, um, Feirouz continues to this day to perform a paradoxical role of representing the former glory of the Arab world and a bygone era, ravaged by regional conflict and a continued advocate of the pan-Arab discourse that speaks to the once pervasive Arab nationalist ideology. She is perhaps more more so than anything else a matriarch of the Arab world who expresses the unfathomable distress of the tormented children of the Arab world. And of course, I mean, she, she grows up in Beirut. It's not like she's, she's not a mountain Lebanese villager who comes down and sort of starts thinking about the mountains. No, she's, I mean, she's modern Lebanon yeah, in a, in a sense. But the modern Lebanon that, that quickly ended maybe yeah. 15 years after its birth. So. But in the same way, I mean, like she would, re- she would, she would often refer to her, her, her time, uh, her childhood spent at her grandmother's in the mountains and like so that even for her that space that was her own kind of nostalgic past yeah right right and i think that you're right in that i think that centrally hers is a lebanese story yeah uh, and i think that you're right in that it resonated a lot and continues to resonate and that's where i think the clincher is and i think that that's where the kind of really interesting um you know, cleavages are of her, of her cultural impact, not just in Lebanon, but across the region as well. And that's kind of um, what people are still unpacking today. So, yeah. I mean, so, you know, it was only a couple of months ago, I think it was around Easter time, perhaps Good Friday, that she released a video of her reciting a prayer, I think. I don't even think she was singing. And all of a sudden, it's in every news outlet you can think of. Everybody is reporting about it. Um, she just has such a reverberation. Yeah, I think is grounded in the Lebanese story. Is able to permeate through in a way that I haven't, um, I haven't, you know, been familiar with in other examples. I'll add one thing. Um, I think she also is that example of trying to accommodate and trying to find balance among ideas that simply don't they can't really function side by side. They just want the competition of these various forms of nationalisms did tear Lebanon apart. And I think her music was trying to weigh in a way find an equilibrium that would work. And it just didn't at the end. But, uh, but it's clear that, I mean, there's one example, it's her, there's no, there's no one else. And, uh, if, if there are other types of Feirouz singers that emerged later, it'll be for very different reasons. 
It's not going to be the nostalgia of a young Lebanon that wobbled and fell at the end of the day. But um, I do like from time to time, I do like uh, the same thing you just described, these whispers of where she is and what she's doing. Uh, And yeah, I mean, they they make national headlines. Um, I know her son is very, very important in in civil war and post-war musical output. Um, I know he means certain things to certain people as well, but that's a very, he's a very politically charged singer. Yeah, Feirouz yeah, simply isn't. Even if she tries to, at her chords, it's not like that. I agree. Yeah. I, so I moved to Beirut literally days after I've, I submitted my thesis. I'd been there before, but I, you know, this was the first time I was going there for a significant period of time. So you chose, um, you chose to settle in Lebanon days after you finished your thesis. Like, that's oh, really, like, this is symbolic. I I oh, yeah, yeah. This was all very carefully planned. Yeah. <laughs> my, my so, um, so, yeah, I, I finished. I, I moved to Lebanon almost immediately. One of the first couple of days, um, I go out with a friend of mine, and um, we're having lunch with one of her friends, and her friend's uh a Lebanese friend who, you know, was a director or something fabulously artistic and, like, was very, you know, articulate and very clever and just seemed very poised. They asked me what I had been studying, and I told them. And as I was telling them the the title of the thing that I had just written, you know those moments where all of a sudden it just clicks in your mind that, like, you have picked the most obvious topic <laughs> to possibly study. It was like, it was unbelievable how up until this moment, it never occurred to me that I was choosing to do something that had been discussed millions of times, not in the academic sense, sure. in the yeah. sense that she is just so present in every element of life for so many people that it's the least exciting thing. Nobody wants to talk about it, really, because like you said, people have grown up with it. It's this kind of constant thing in, in you know, Lebanese people's lives, uh, for the most part anyway, even if you're in the diaspora, really, which is the impression that I get. Yeah. And it was this kind of mortifying feeling that like, oh my God, I've chosen the most obvious thing that there is to choose and how, you know, that's hilarious. Um, but so what, that was, but what, was it a Lebanon that you imagined you were heading to because of that sort of her maybe falling in love with her music and then you reach the, 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 the part of the world that she's singing about and it maybe doesn't necessarily match your expectation. Like, I'm curious if you had a different Lebanon in your mind after spending enough time there. Was it maybe that this is not the story that she's saying about necessarily? Or, or that story ended already? I don't know whether I, I, I ever kind of incorporated, you know, the, the, the sentiment of her music from, from at least in the earliest decades of her. Mm, mm, yeah. I don't necessarily know whether it played such a huge role in my own formation of what I understood the country to be. Right, right. I was lucky to have people very close to me in life who... Um, you know, even they were born and raised here, they would go like five times a year. They were coming back and forth from Lebanon. So I felt like I had enough of an understanding of the country that she didn't play such a central role in my formation of my, of, you know, my understanding right. of the yeah. sides 
other than her kind of cultural significance. So I, yeah. and I kind of knew from the onset, you know, based on just personal experience about how this music is presented, I kind of knew that it probably didn't exist. She was really so and I also yeah, knew right, right. it didn't matter that it didn't exist because, you know, it doesn't, didn't have to. That's, you know, yeah. besides the point whether she depicted it accurately or not. Um, my my love for the country is kind of I struggle to articulate it because I don't really understand it. I still something that I'm st still trying to kind of wrap my head around, and it will it will continue to be something that I kind of delve into and try and try and kind of grapple with and try and articulate to the best of my ability. But um, Feyruz's role in in at least my story with Lebanon is one that it wasn't necessarily central to what I knew and loved about the country, but it, it enriched it a lot for me, and it helped me learn so much um, about its, you know, its modern story and its language as well. Like it helped yeah. me actually with that. So, um, and then this, uh, the, the final, final anecdote, I know I've gone on for too long. Um, we'll cut it out, don't worry. No, I'm joking, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but she... I, I found her everywhere. She was yeah. just everywhere. The night that I, you know, went out to celebrate the results of my thesis, we went to uh, Radio Beirut in Manuel And who is spray painted on the back wall with her son? Exactly. Yeah. So it's like there were just so many constant reminders of her everywhere. The graffiti in Jamesa, the like vans that I took in one of my first weekends from Kola that tried to like Zahle wherever I was trying to go. It's just was just everywhere. Um and did, did they did they try sending you further into Syria on your way back to Iran? Was that the uh Habibta you can't get off in Zahle keep going? I told them I was Greek, it was fine. Don't Greek? Oh yeah. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It would never do that. But um it would, yeah, I would... Don't take know. me, I love Feyruz. <laughs> exactly, that's my get-out-of-jail card, figuratively. But, um, but I found her everywhere. She was, you know, she she inhabited spaces that I kind of um, wasn't necessarily surprised to see her, but was always pleased when I did. So, um, so yeah, I hope that that kind of answers your point. It answers it completely. And you know what? I mean, I think it, it also answers something else, which is her music and the Lebanese story is both real and imagined at the same time. And I think uh, she found a way to eloquently sing that song mm -hmm. of uh, all that, what everything you're describing. That uh, Yeah. And it somehow, it, it, it resonates. It resonated not just with Lebanon, but the entire region. Mm -hmm. And it continues to do so. You're very kind. Two episodes, one mm -hmm. week apart, okay. on very different subjects. But it, no, it means a lot. And I, I actually did something. I, I dove into your YouTube channel, which has a, a playlist of Feyruz music, which mm -hmm. kept me company the whole weekend. I'll link yeah. that as well, so do people can. Um, and if any of your listeners reach out to you and they say that they want to read it, I. I don't get anything from it. It's not like I'm trying to sell this. However, if people want to read it, I'll, then I'd be I'll gonna... sell it. I'll make some money. And then, you know, you just get the recognition. Okay, that's fine. Or, or even you have a copy of it. So if people, you know, if people say that they want to, then I'm more than happy for them to do so. Um, and, and, yeah, I hope that I've had a wonderful time discussing it with you. So thank you very much for having me on to discuss this, this very important topic. 
at a time where, you know, we should also recognize that there are much, much bigger things to be grappling with in Lebanon at the moment. And, and that should rightly be the focus of everybody's attention. And if these, you know, this hour or so is able to kind of bring a bit of joy and a bit of nostalgia to someone, then, you know, then wonderful. That's the point, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Diva, thank you. So much. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs> <laughs>